Luke chapter 2, verse 1 to 20, and this morning we are going to be reflecting on the Christmas story, and through the Christmas story, um, hopefully we will understand more who Jesus is and what he came to do, and that will be for us this morning, (sighs) for us this morning, an experience that is life-changing. And so let's read God's word together. In those days, so Luke chapter 2, verse 1 through to 20. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be, this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Verse 17, And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things in her heart, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Let's pray. God, we have been here before. For many of us, this is um, our, I don't even know, we've heard hundreds of Christmas sermons, we've read this story, 
Um, for some of us, ever since we were young, we've read this story and fully have a knowledge of what it says and what it's about. Um, God, it's one thing for us to know and have an intellectual understanding. It's another for us to have a supernatural understanding. And so, God, this morning, I pray that you would give us an understanding that goes beyond our intellect, God, that you would um, take these truths, this story, um, and bring it to life in our life in a way that changes us this Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Give me one sec. What's the greatest moment um, in human history? If someone was to ask you that question, what would you say? What's the greatest moment in human history? Um, some believe it was the rise of modern medicine or the invention of the airplane or the invention of the internet. Um, some others would say the greatest moment in history was the end of World War II, or when the first organ transplant took place, or when the first man stepped on the moon, or when Martin Luther King delivered his I Have a Dream speech. There are many, all right? There's been many great moments in the history of Christianity. There just has. But Christianity will argue that there's one event in history that outshines them all. Christianity believes and teaches that the birth of Jesus is the greatest moment in human history. And so the question is, why do we, that is we, if you're here and you're a Christian, why do you believe that the birth of a boy in the little town of Bethlehem is the greatest moment in history? That's the question I want us um, to explore this morning. First, the birth of Jesus according to Christianity, is the greatest moment in history because it was when God fulfilled his greatest promise. Look at verse 1. It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. All right. Not long after Mary became pregnant, Caesar Augustus, who was the emperor and ruler of the Roman Empire at the time, announced a decree for all citizens um, to get registered. Their registration itself had little to do with a count or survey of the population and more to do with paying taxes. What do I mean by that? Listen to this quote from Dave Stotts, who runs a media company called Drive Through History. It's fantastic. Type it in on YouTube. It's great. He says this. One of the main reasons that Rome went to all of the work of doing a census was to make sure that people were paying the taxes Rome demanded. However, the Roman census wasn't voluntary, and there was no real way for the average Joe or Joseph, to fight it. 
To make things more complicated, all right, the only place people could actually get registered was in their hometown. And so wherever you was, okay, you had to make your way back to where you was born in order to get registered for the census. Look at verse 4, it says, And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the household of and lineage of David. Verse 5, And he went there to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And so when the decree was announced, Joseph and Mary were living in Nazareth at the time. Okay, They were away from their hometown, um, living in Nazareth, which was located in a region called Galilee. And like everyone else, they had to go back to their hometown in order to get registered. Um, they were originally from Bethlehem, which was a small town in Judea. Now, most of you um, know this, but let me just kind of talk about this a little bit. Most of the cities, all right, in, I would say, America, all of them have a nickname, okay? If I was to ask you guys what the nickname of San Diego is, what would you say? It's America's finest city. Los Angeles is known as the city of angels, and I'm sure whatever city you're from, whether big or small, has a nickname. Some are odd, right, and some are awesome, right? Um, in a similar way, the little town of Bethlehem had a nickname. It was known as the City of David. And the reason why it was known as the City of David wasn't because they just thought it would be a good idea to name it the City of David. No, there was a reason behind it. It was the birthplace and original home of the great King David. And now bear this in mind because this is really important here. This piece of information, really important. Let's move on. And so what Mary and Joseph do, of course, is they journey back to their hometown of Bethlehem, the city of David, to get registered. Look at verse 6. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Going into labor is challenging in so many ways. Okay? I've been around it three times. But it's even more challenging when you're not where you need to be when it happens. In our current culture, when Eleanor was pregnant and we were, you know, around the 39-week mark and we were getting to full term, um, the doctors advised us and said, look, just make sure you are located around your home and the, near and the nearest hospital, right? Don't travel. Don't go anywhere. Just stay <laughs> around there, okay? In those days, in the ancient world, women gave birth at home. Home births were the thing. I've heard it's all coming back now, and it's kind of trending, but back then, <laughs> right? It's all about home births, Okay? And so ideally, when a woman in the ancient world were full-term, they planned to be near their home and avoided any form of travel, travel. And so for Joseph and Mary, even though they're not in Nazareth at the moment, it doesn't really matter because they're in Bethlehem, their hometown, and so they must have relatives and friends to provide them with a safe and suitable place to give birth, right? 
not quiet. It seems they're not able to find a place to stay in the home of one of their relatives. And so out of desperation, they settle for the only option available, which was possibly, uh, we don't know this, possibly a grimy stable used to house animals. Look at verse 7. And she, that's Mary, gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Prophetic fulfillment is the belief that whatever God has promised in the past will one day be fulfilled. The fulfillment of God's promises, however, is often overlooked whenever we talk and discuss and have a conversation about the Christmas story. Yet the reality is this. You just cannot talk about the birth of Jesus without talking about the fulfillment of one of God's greatest promises. It's essential. The whole idea of prophetic fulfillment and everything, it's an essential part of the Christmas story. Why is that? Because, listen, the events surrounding the birth of Jesus, how he was born, when he was born, where he was born, all of the details, all right? The events surrounding the birth of Jesus fulfilled many Old Testament promises that were talked about centuries before these events took place. For example, the birthplace of Jesus, the fact that he was born in Bethlehem, the city of David, right? This whole thing was talked about way before, long before it actually came it actually became a reality. All of this, everything we've just read and studied about Jesus and where he was born was all according to God's perfect plan and purposes. The Christmas story, the nativity story, isn't just a feel-good story about a baby born in Bethlehem in unfortunate circumstances. No. The Christmas story, it's mainly about a God who has made promises and kept them. One author says it this way. It's about a God who promised men and women long ago that he would send his Messiah for them to save them and give them hope. And it's about the God, that God delivering on those promises centuries later at the place and moment of his choosing through the birth of his son, Jesus. And so when we say the birth of Jesus is the greatest moment in history because it was when God fulfilled his greatest promise we're also saying this, listen to this, we're also saying this, that we can trust 
that whatever God has said will eventually come to fruition. Whatever God has promised will one day become a reality. This was true with the birth of Jesus and it will be true for everything he said that has not yet been fulfilled. And so what do you think about that truth? What do you think about that? The fact that, all right, birth of Jesus talked about long before it happened. It happened just as it was prophesied and promised. And as a result of that, we can trust that whatever God has promised, whatever God has promised in his word, will eventually become a reality. And so may the Christmas story strengthen your faith in a God who fulfills all of his promises. He will do whatever he said he will do. And so we've seen that the birth of Jesus is the greatest moment in human history because it was when God fulfilled his greatest promise. Now we'll see that the birth of Jesus is considered the greatest moment in history because it's when God stepped into human history. On May 7th, 2019, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, who now live in Santa Barbara, I heard, not too far from here, announced the birth of their first child on Instagram. In the caption, the proud parents wrote, we are pleased to announce that their royal highnesses, the, the royal highnesses, okay, that's what it says, the royal highnesses, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, have welcomed their firstborn child. Da, 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 the child weighs this much and it's great and thank you for being so excited for us. Apparently, this announcement on Instagram broke royal records. It reached one million followers within six hours of being launched, earning them a spot in the Guinness Book of World Records. Who read that announcement? Anyone here? No? 2019, May 7th? No? Okay. I think I was the only one. I wonder why. <laughs> The birth of Jesus may have been low-key and mundane, but the announcement of his birth was quite the opposite. All right? His birth was not announced through social media platforms or news or anything like that, but it was announced in a way no birth has ever been announced before. It was announced in the most magnificent way possible through angels. And even more astonishing, the first people to hear about the birth of Jesus were not the extended family of Mary and Joseph or the elites in society or the religious leader or government authorities back then, no. But the first people to hear about the birth were the most unlikely group of people, shepherds. Look at verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. So right there. So a few miles from the stable where Mary has just given birth is a field 
on this field are a bunch of shepherds taking care of their flock. It's late at night. It's been a long and exhausting day for these shepherds that they have, but they have to do what they have to do to protect their primary source of income from predators or thieves. And if that means no sleep, they'll go without sleep to make it happen. But as they struggle to stay awake, they are suddenly awoken by the dazzling appearance of an angel. Look at verse 9. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And so the presence of this angel is so electrifying, it's so dazzling, it's so magnificent. Um, They are filled with great fear. But their fears are soon calmed, by what the angel says to them. Look at verse 10. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. And so the first thing the angel says to them is, Don't freak out. Don't be scared. And then he tells them um, about, he tells them not to fear because his message to them is not one of judgment but rather it's a message of good news, of great joy. In other words, the angel is the bearer of news that is so good, it produces great joy in everyone, everywhere, who hears it and believes it. I know this for sure. I know this. I know. I don't know a lot of things, but I know for sure, okay, that, Many of us here in our past have received some sort of good news. I I definitely have, okay? And I remember several of them. One of the most recent was when Ellen and I were back in England and we got our visa approval. Yeah, it was late at night. Um, Our attorneys are based in New York. And so she ended up emailing us um, early in the morning in New York, and we got it late at night. And so if you do the maths, England time, all of that. And so (laughs) she emails us. I was up late getting some work done, and she emails. I got her email, and she basically says, oh, my gosh, I just needed to tell you your visas have been approved. Remember, it's late at night. I'm awake. Eleanor's sleeping. I get the news. I can't contain it. And what I do is run up the stairs, and I wake Eleanor up, and I go, oh, my gosh. So she wakes up. <laughs> Our visas got approved. And she's like, huh? Our visas got approved. And then, you know, she kind of wakes up and goes, oh my goodness, but why did you wake me up? <laughs> now I can't go back to sleep. <laughs> and I'm like, it's good news. She's like, yeah, it's good news. And then we went crazy. And then we couldn't sleep for the rest of the night. But that was good news we heard. I want you to do this. I want you to think about the most joyous news you've ever heard in your life. Some of the most amazing news you've ever heard in your life. Now, as amazing as this news was, this is what you need to know. In terms of goodness, in terms of how amazing the news was, it does not even come close to the news the angel is talking about here. 
And so the question is, what then is this good news of great joy that outshines all others? Look at verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, the good news that outshines any other good news in the history of mankind, the good news that sparks great joy in all of our lives is all about the birth of a child. And the reason his birth is good news and calls for joyous celebrations is because of who he is and what he's come to do. In verse 11, he's described by the angel as the Savior who is, the, who is Christ the Lord. In the Hebrew scriptures, check this, God is often identified as the Savior of his people. And so for this child to be identified as the Savior means that through him, God will save and deliver his people. It also says this, it's not, it's, that's just mind-blowing in and of itself, the fact that he's the Savior, but it's more. There's more to this baby. It also says he's Christ the Lord. The term or title Christ is taken from the Old Testament. It means anointed one. And the title anointed one was a Jewish way of saying that someone was God's king. But for hundreds of years, this was the problem. Before this moment, the Jews had not had a king. And so the prophets of the Old Testament would talk about a time when God would come through for the nation of Israel and he would send a great king, the Christ, to deliver Israel from oppression and restore the glories of his golden age. Now, with this brief understanding of Savior and Christ in mind, this is what the angel is declaring to the shepherds that the child who has just been born in Bethlehem is actually the Christ. We hear that. It's kind of like 21st century citizens of the West, and we're like, okay, big deal. But to the Jews and the shepherds, this must have been mind-blowing, because as I said, for hundreds of years, They've been waiting for the Messiah, the Christ, to deliver them from the oppression of the Roman Empire. He's actually the Christ, the Savior, the one spoken of by the prophets. He's the long-awaited Messiah, God's only king. And he's not God's only chosen king not only of Israel, but he's the king of the world. Anointed rule and reign, to be anointed and to rule and reign in God's world with God's authority. And listen to this. If Jesus is anointed to rule in God's world with God's authority, this must mean one thing. He's the embodiment of God. And if he's the embodiment of God, that means only one thing. Jesus is God. 
simply put, Jesus, who's this baby born in Bethlehem and laying in a manger, is actually God in human flesh. I was thinking about this and I was like, this is wild. Think of what you know about God. All right? Look around you. God created everything we see. Okay? Just pick up a leaf and look at how just how amazing this leaf is. And who came up with the idea? God. Who created the ocean? God. Today or last night or last evening, I was watching surfing videos with my son and daughters. That's what we do now. And we were watching some of the biggest waves in the world. And there are waves so big, they're like sometimes reach like over 50 feet. And they're in Portugal, Nazare. Nazare. And we were watching those videos and I was just blown away by how ferocious and how magnificent these waves were. And then I was looking at them thinking, my goodness, like God, if, if God created these and I'm you know, thinking about my sermon and I'm thinking, gosh, Jesus, embodiment of God and incarnation of God and Jesus is God and crazy, that, oh gosh. Jesus is God. So Jesus, historically, there are clear evidence that he lived in this particular text. All right, Caesar Augustus. No one ever argues that Caesar Augustus lived. He's like one of the most well-known, powerful, dominant Roman emperors ever lived. And so in this text alone is proving the, the legitimate history of what we're talking about. And then Jesus. And then he's born in a manger. And then there's angels. And so if we believe that certain people actually lived in history, then we must believe that Jesus didn't only live, but everything that happened in his life, everything he did and said about who he was, was actually true. Well, how does that strike you? What do you think about that? A lot of the time we read the Bible and we read about Jesus and we just forget how real <laughs> mind-blowing and he wasn't just a person he wasn't just elite prophet and rabbi he was actually God in human flesh do you believe that Jesus Christ who was born to a Jewish couple in a small town of Bethlehem was God Rico Tice, British author and Anglican minister, says that when we look at Jesus, the guessing games about God stop. The God of the Bible is not someone we dreamed up. No, God has revealed himself to us. God has shown us what he's like by sending his son, Jesus Christ. And if this is who Jesus is, right? If everything we've just been talking about and everything else we know about Jesus is true, the question is, how have you been relating to him 
And I'm not just talking about people here that don't know Christ. I'm talking about people here that you, you are a Christian. If all of this is true, how have you been relating to Jesus? What's your relationship with him like? The fact that Jesus is God is precisely why the birth of Jesus is the greatest moment in human history, y'all. Why? Because it's exactly when God stepped into human history. The birth of Jesus is the greatest moment in the history of mankind because it's when God fulfilled his greatest promise by stepping into human history to die for us so that salvation can be made available for everyone, everywhere who believes. This is why Jesus needs to get all the attention during Christmas. This is why we as Christians need to make much of Jesus. Because he is God who stepped down into human history to seek and save the lost. And so how do we respond to all of this knowledge? Verse 15, um, 16, and 17 tells us about um, how you know, an additional angels joined the one angel that brought the announcement and they sung praises to God. And then verse 16 and 17 tell us that the shepherds, after hearing all of this, they couldn't contain themselves. They were like, this news is great. Couldn't help it. And so what did they do? They went around everywhere telling everyone they came in contact with about the good news that the promised deliverer has been born. How the shepherds responded to the good news of great joy, how they responded to the moment God stepped in human history is how we should respond. We should marvel Okay, and revel in what God has done for us in the fact that God actually came to live and to die and to rise again so that we had a relationship with God may be restored. It might not be a surprise to you to know that the Christmas holidays are not the most wonderful time of the year for everyone. In fact, December and January are said to be um, the deadliest months of the year with more deaths than any other month. And this year, deaths are projected to be at least 20% higher than normal due to the impact of COVID-19. I took a quick look at some of San Diego's major news websites this morning, and here are some of today's deadline, um, headlines, everybody. I call them deadlines. All the time. That slipped out. 
But that's what I call them, deadlines. Just deadly. They don't help. Right, here are some of today's headlines, all right? California hospitals struggling as coronavirus cases explode. San Diego unemployment at lowest rate since COVID hit. Staffing shortages are driving school closures. Restaurants must close again. And in England, there's a hashtag going around that says Christmas is cancelled because our prime minister announced yesterday that the whole country, most of the country, is going into lockdown. And the only time people are allowed to mix with people outside of their household, which has limitations itself, is on Christmas Day. Rest of December, stay at home. All non-essential shops are shut. It's been a strange and difficult year, man. <laughs> Everything seems to be going wrong. This year has left most of us weary and worn out as we navigate hardships and losses. But the interesting thing is we're not without hope. And so I've been thinking about this Christmas and I'm like, it's definitely unprecedented, isn't it? So unusual in so many ways. And I was thinking about it and I was like, you know what? There is hope. And there is hope because although we don't have access to what we normally have access to during the Christmas season, that is, um, be able to go here and there and plan this and do this, even though um, the Christmas season is kind of a stripped-down version okay, of the Christmas we're used to, that's fine. Why? Because it gives us a unique opportunity to really focus and see and savor who Jesus is really, who Christmas is really about. So, for example, if you're a musician in here, in, you know, musicians always release a song. And then after they release a song, when they're going around touring and playing at venues, what they do is an acoustic version of the actual song. And the acoustic version just has one instrument and they're just singing or rapping. And I always prefer the acoustic versions of normal songs. Why? Because I get to actually understand the lyrics of the song more. I get to actually hear the emotion of the artist as they only have the, the one instrument kind of playing alongside them. The stripped-down version of a song allows us to focus more on the content of the song and the artists themselves. So in the same way, there is hope in this gnarly, crazy Christmas because if it's quiet and there are less distractions, it allows us to really focus on what Christmas is all about, right? And it's this Sunday. Look at this Sunday. 
It's like normally our annual Christmas service, what's happening? There's a taco truck pulling up, ready to get food out. There are bounce houses. There's so much energy, and I love all of that. But maybe all of that plays a role in distracting us from who and what we should be focusing on this Christmas. And so, King's Cross Church, this Christmas, may you delight in the greatest moment in human history. May you have a renewed appreciation of who Jesus is. And when you do, may you strive as never before to share with a fearful and frustrated world the only hope for humanity and that is Jesus Christ why is the birth of Jesus the greatest moment in the history of humanity it's because God fulfilled his greatest promise by stepping into human history in order to provide love, hope, joy, peace to everyone, everywhere who believes. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you. And God, when I say thank you, I just don't want it to be an introduction to a prayer, which I'm so prone to and I'm doing right now. God, may I say thank you out of a genuine gratefulness um, for what you've done for us in and through the person of Jesus Christ. And so as we sing, as we um, um, navigate through this unique Christmas season, may you help us truly believe that the birth of your son, the death of your son, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the greatest moment in all of human history. Why? Because it's exactly when you fulfilled your greatest promise by coming and living and dying and rising so that we may have life and have it more abundantly. And so God, thank you. Thank you. Stir in our hearts a passion and a love for you this season as we reflect on this more. In Jesus' name, amen.